This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. As consumers demand more transparency in their supply chains, both federal and state governments are taking measures not just to keep consumers more informed, but hold fashion brands more accountable for their own chain of custody. I'm Edward Hertzman, founder and president of Sourcing Journal, and today we're joined by Mark Burstein, EVP of Legility, a provider of cloud-based supply chain platforms to dive into how upcoming legislation in New York can impact the fashion sector at large. Mark, it, it seems like it's been a while since we last spoke. Great to see you. So tell me, what have, what have you been up to? Oh, Eddie, it's great to see you again. You know, our last conversation was pre-COVID, so it's been a while. But for the past two years, I've really been focused on traceability as a solution that enables an ethical supply chain, sustainability, and obviously corporate ESG performance. It's really become my full-time job. It's in such high demand. You know, traceability first appeared on my radar when Congress started working on the first version of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. You know, a verified chain of custody is really the only way to provide proof of admissibility when CBP detains a shipment of cotton products from Asia. Also, when fashion companies got serious about reducing their carbon emissions, especially scope three, you know, that come from the supply chain, traceability started including those environmental metrics, you know, and both of those heavily affect a company's ESG score. So, Mark, obviously, with the Uyghur Force Protection Act and the, the potential legislation in New York, the need to be more transparent is, is obvious. And traceability is certainly uh, m- maturing. But the question I really have is, at what stage are companies right now in this evolution? Obviously, they know they need to make a change, but are they doing it? Are they reactive or proactive? Well, honestly, most companies have been reactive. And in the past couple of months, we've defined the five maturity stages of traceability. And I would say right now, 90% of the industry is at stage zero. They haven't even begun to start moving into the mature phases. But some large global brands actually have achieved stage one, and about a dozen or so have reached stage two or three, but none have made it to stage four or five, but a handful are on the way. So can you explain to me a little bit how Legility's mission or your business, your platform, how does that help brands in their sustainability journey or in their transparency evolution? You know, everything really changed on January 7th. That's when New York State Legislature unveiled the New York Fashion Sustainability and Social Accountability Act, 
which is commonly called the New York Fashion Act. Can you talk a little bit about, because I think, you know, I was giving a, a presentation yesterday and I think there's some confusion. You know, you have the Uyghur Force Protection Act and then you have this New York Fashion Act. They're different. Can you right. explain the differences between the two? Yeah, there are a lot of differences. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll list just some of the, the biggest differences right now. So number one, the New York Fashion Act covers every product a company produces, not just cotton products from Asia. Number two, there's an environmental sustainability metric that they need to report on. Number three, every company, even international companies that sell products in New York State, all of them must publish an annual report on their ESG progress. And four, th this is really the stick. A company that doesn't comply with the requirements will be fined 2% of their worldwide annual revenue. So using Nike as an example, their noncompliance would result in a fine of $1 billion every year. Wow. Or they could just choose not to sell products in the state of New York. But obviously, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's not, uh, that's not feasible. So really, any large retailer or brand is, is going to fall under this because $100 million, while a sizable number, is really not when you look at New York from a consumption perspective. So as a follow-up question, Mark, who is responsible for the enforcement of this? Is it a government agency? Is it CBP? No, you know, that's another major difference. In this case, the New York Fashion Act, the U.S. citizens are responsible for enforcement. It's just like California's Prop 65 and, and Texas's new um, abortion law. Literally any citizen can sue any fashion company if they have proof that the company did not comply with this act. There's a big difference between the Uyghur Act and the New York Fashion Act. And if you go back to my five maturity stages, for a company to comply with the Uyghur Act, they just need to reach stage three. But to comply with the New York Fashion Act, they need to achieve stage five. You know, I just think it's, you know, Uyghur has gotten so much publicity in last year. And it, it, it's very scary because obviously that cotton's all over the globe and it could have huge impact if, if, if your goods get stopped. But if you think about legislation that could be transformative and change an industry, the New York Fashion Act is very progressive and yep. it's very reminiscent of, of how they kind of operate in, in Europe with the green deals and stuff like that, moving to a real green economy. Do you think that in many ways, the New York Act is more of a game changer for our industry and it, it is going to leave other states to, to, to follow suit? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, Washington has already issued a copycat law and I also see other states that are working on it. But just to give you an analogy that I've been using with a lot of companies, to me, the Uyghur Act, is like a ripple in the ocean. It's upsetting, but it's a ripple. The New York Fashion Act is a tsunami. And the warning sirens are wailing right now. And the smart companies are moving to higher ground. Um, the others are still on the beach watching the tide go out and wondering, you know, when is the tsunami going to come? And right. many of those companies are going to end up as casualties. So this is not this has not been voted into law yet. So let's be very right. specific on that for everyone listening. But what kind of timing are we looking at? And, you know, are you seeing a lot of apparel brands lobby against these bills? Number one, the, the New York legislature, um, we're estimating that they'll vote sometime in April on this. So soon. 
but it's going to be really difficult for brands to lobby against these bills publicly. The money that's being raised from the fines is earmarked for community benefit projects, such as wind farms and solar farms and hydroelectric plants. You know, so any company that publicly condemns this bill, they're going to be seen as a villain. Yeah. Yeah. Things are very complicated right now. It's almost like the situation in Myanmar, you know, you have a military junta. If you, if you do business there, you're essentially supporting a military coup, but if you pull out, you're not supporting an industry that's so vital to the economy. So these are situations where even if you disagree, you actually have to be very quiet. And actually you shouldn't disagree because this is an essential part of the the evolution of our industry. Right. Correct. It, It sounds like this bill benefits the planet. Uh, but there's certainly, a, you know, a lot of work ahead of us to, to make this um, realistic. I also see this type of legislation moving forward in other countries and other industries. Um, will you update me um, as to, you know, where you see this? Like, like I said before, I see this bill as kind of an inspiration for other similar type of legislation. So what, what type of things do you see coming from this? I see more fireside chats in our future. You know, maybe next time we'll discuss the new EU corporate sustainability due diligence proposal that was just released. That in itself is going to be a monster. But in the meantime, if you or anyone have any questions, you know, they can contact me directly. They can just send me an email at mburstein at legility.com. So Mark, obviously, as always, you're ahead of the, ahead of the game. You know, you've been talking about the need to be more responsible, more transparent, more sustainable for, for years. I think it's going to be a very, on top of all the other headwinds that, that the industry is facing, these are other um, necessary but difficult you know, obstacles people are going to have to overcome and, yeah. and, and figure out how to, how to work into their supply chains. Um, thank you again for your time. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks, finally in person. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Eddie.